Wow. What a glorious uh, worship time that was. Thank you so much, Joe and uh, Levi, Fiona, the band. What a just wonderful time to rest in God's presence. It's a privilege, isn't it, to rest with the Holy Spirit? A real joy. I wonder if you were to think of words to describe the Holy Spirit, what you might have come up with. I don't know if you guys were looking at it upstairs just now um, in the session. Yeah. Any words that came out for you? Chat them out. to Levi. Powerful, yeah. Any other words? Anyone in the room? The breath of God, yeah. Any other words? A life-giver, a strengthener, yeah. A comforter. Warm. Is that warm, is it? Yeah, yeah, warm. Actually, we had a a word this morning, we were praying in the prayer chapel at uh, St. Albans, and uh, Jenny Mullaney had a picture of what she described as a, a warm footprint. And she said that following uh, God was like stepping into a warm footprint, you know, just walking just behind him. Isn't that, isn't that lovely? The Holy Spirit who goes before, you know, that song we sing, you go before, see, I can sing in church, there you go. You're there beside me. Yeah. Okay, I'll stop doing that. Yeah, I have to come on the seventh moon um, for me not to sing. So uh, tonight, Holy Spirit, we're just so glad that we get to know you. And we pray that you have your way among us this evening. You reveal yourself to us. And please reveal Jesus and the Father to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell a few little stories at the beginning. Um, and my first story is about a, a lady called Trina, who is a curate in Wolverhampton. And at Prudence here and I met when we went to do a new wine healing weekend in Wolverhampton, which happened completely by accident because uh, they asked me to come and do a Holy Spirit weekend, which I was like, fantastic, I'll come and do that. And then when I'd signed up, they advertised it as a healing weekend. And as I'm no diddly squat about healing ministry, I, I said to Prudence, you're going to have to come with me because I'm in trouble here. So Prudence came and did the introductory teaching to it. And it, it, was, it was wonderful. It was based around app, and we'll get her to do it here again sometime soon because it was talking about authority, power, and presence and how we can minister healing as God. But Trina was another person in the room who also felt like she knew diddly squat about healing. She'd had some experience of it. She'd had a dramatic experience when she was at Bible college, in fact. And it sort of blown her, blown her mind. So she wasn't anti it. She was just a bit like, I don't know if this is for me. And we had this sort of ministry time, and she came up and got prayed for. Uh, and then we did a sort of prophecy time, and she had some prophecies, and that was all quite fun. And, and then there was this, someone who came up who worked at the same church as Trina. And uh, she had, like, a serious, serious long-term health condition, and she wanted prayer. And Trina was just there, and I just had this nudge from the Holy Spirit, get Trina to pray for her. I pulled her over, and we said, we're going to have to do it. Prudence's way, because that's what we've just been trained in, this app way, authority, power, and presence. So basically, it means you have to speak healing into the person. It's not, Jesus, please, will you heal them if you will? It's be healed in the name of Jesus. That's the sort of the way the training goes. So um, Trina starts uh, doing it, uh, you know, a, a, as instructed. And in my head, I'm saying, get her to do it several times. So I'm like, again, 
<laughs> she, and she does it. Right, again. She does it again, again. So okay, all the way through seven times, by which time she's probably gone through that sort of bit where you feel ridiculous to the point of like, you know, slightly demob happy, like in the name of Jesus, be in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be healed. So it was all quite fun. It was a nice, safe place. We were just practicing, experimenting, having a go, as we do in those sort of sessions. But in the evening, the lady came back and she's like, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I've been healed. So she gave a testimony. And then the next morning, she came back to church, which was the Sunday morning of the weekend. And she gave a testimony that she'd slept for the first time, like I think it was in a year and a half, something like that. She slept through the night. And we got in touch with Trina recently. Actually, I interviewed her for New Wine Online. Uh, and her story's there. And this lady's still, still healed. I think Priest's still in touch with, with her. And it, it was an extraordinary thing. So the power of God working through someone who was pretty reluctant and thick, uh, me, and this lady who was absolutely lovely and wonderful and gorgeous, uh, prepared to make a fool of herself based on the training that Prudence had given because a vicar had booked us to come and do a healing session. And this, this wonderful um, worker in that church is, is still living out in healing. Great story, isn't it? My second story, I've been up uh, this week in Stoke-on-Trent doing sessions on prophecy, how to listen to God's voice. Um, we're in a great session, um, but I'm woken up early in the morning. It's really unfair, isn't it? Like I'm away from home, away from uh, Ella's noisy brothers, and um, away from the dog, and uh, you know, just have a lion. But their dog decided to camp outside my bedroom door and scratch on the door at quarter five in the morning. So <laughs> I'm up really early, and... I probably pray for a bit, watch something on the BBC, and then I'm like, new wine online. I know there's something on there from Mark Aldridge on prophecy. I better just check that I'm in the right frame, you know, go, go with the expert on this prophecy thing. And I listened to one or two of his talks, and they're, they're really impactful. You should, you should definitely do the training session. It, it's wonderful. But he tells a story of going to Siberia to do some ministry. And he rocks off the plane. He says he's meeting by the most humble, wonderful pastor ever. Um, if you don't know Mark, he's the sort of the vice. I, sa I said he was the chair of vice of New Wine <laughs> this morning. <laughs> he's, the, he's like the sort of vice president of New Wine or something. He does lots of ministry for New Wine. Uh, he, he was met by this humble guy in Siberia. And, uh, but the first thing, this humble pastor in Siberia, which is, that's like, Russia extreme Siberia. So you get to, you fly to Moscow, and that's like a major city. You fly to Siberia, it's, it is the middle of nowhere, and it's very, 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 very cold, and people freeze to death every year. Uh, and his first question to Mark is, so how many people have you raised from the dead? And, <laughs> and Mark was like, um, not so many, actually. Uh, how about you? He says, oh, only five. <laughs> There's the power of God through the Holy Spirit in some extreme places with people following God. It's quite amazing. So that, that touched me this week, Mark's uh, testimony. But the last one, and this is the important one that I want to share as we go into the teaching on who the Holy Spirit is tonight. Uh, it goes back to when I was also in Wolverhampton, but this time as a curate. And uh, I did what was possibly the most effective mission that I've ever done in my life. Um, it was Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter. And I just kept our big barn of a church open for 16 hours a day all week. And Nicola would come and bring food to me. Um, and we had a sign outside that said, Open Welcome. It was on the main branch road into Wolverhampton, just a mile from the city centre, one of the gatekeeping places of the city. And I just prayed. Um, prayed my heart out. 
for, for a week. And there, some people came and joined me. Uh, one lady came and joined me because the GP had sent her. She was feeling guilty about an abortion, she said. She just needed release and freedom and forgiveness and prayer. That was awesome. Someone else came running off the top decker of a bus and came in and gave their life to Jesus. I can't even remember why. They just saw it and they were drawn in. And this one guy had been helping me to keep it open was a guy called Steve who... Um, he was like one of those sort of annoying people in church. <laughs> His wife was like this amazing Christian. She was a, like a black Pentecostal Christian. She worked for UCB Radio. And he was like a muddled, confused person. He sort of thought that all roads led to God. He sort of opened to God, but it was just all over the place. And it's like his brain works in this sort of direction. It's sort of going like that. It was, it was a cobweb. And it, it, it was annoying, not because he wasn't interesting or nice or fun, but just because it was like... You're just like walking through treacle when you're trying to get through to him. And he kept turning up like he was drawn to church, but he couldn't see God clearly. And it was so frustrating. And anything I preached didn't get through to him. You might be having that experience tonight. Nothing would get through to him. And there we were praying in church for those 16 hours a day through Holy Week. And at the front of church, we had um, some Really, really, really um, huge versions of this. There were three of them. There were three big wooden crosses. And we'd put them in the prayer corner. Yeah, you need the cameras, Scott. <laughs> so, uh, we'd put them in the prayer corner. Um, just on the side of the church. There one, two, three. Basically life-sized crosses over there. And the thing you need to know about Steve is the reason that he was so confused was that he'd grown up in a spiritualist home. And spiritualism was something that really emerged after, after so many people died in the Great War and then the Second World War. And people were desperate to be in touch with their dead uh, relatives. And they almost like sold bits of their soul to be in touch with their dead relatives. They just wanted to hold on to their loved ones. Understandable, hey? If you've lost someone precious to you. And he'd grown up in this, and there was a sort of sense that uh, among his little group of people, they, they sometimes said they could almost like see dead, dead people. I don't quite know how it works. In, in the Bible, there's an example of this where uh, King Saul calls on, um, on Samuel to come back, and he sort of meets with Samuel. I don't quite know how it works, but it was, it's not great, and it's definitely, definitely, definitely something that the Bible condones, it condemns. It doesn't like it. Like Saul gets in so much trouble. You're going to get your English words right, haven't you? It condemns it. Saul gets in so much trouble for it. It's pretty much the end of his, his king kings at that stage. But Steve had been growing up in this. And I, I'm praying at, at the cross one time. And then he uh, goes up to the, the cross himself. And he, he walks up. And uh, it's sort of slightly hidden behind some screens in the prayer area. And then what happens is he kneels down at the cross for ages. And I'm just at the back having, having a drink. And, uh, and then, I don't know, half an hour later or something, he comes back and starts talking to me. And he says, I've just seen him. And what, what he saw was a physical body of Jesus on that wooden cross we had. And do you know what happened? Suddenly, his mind started working. It was like laser sharp. 
He had seen Jesus. The Holy Spirit revealed Jesus to him. Jesus crucified. And suddenly he wasn't muddled anymore. Suddenly he wasn't confused anymore. Suddenly it made sense. Suddenly he knew that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Even to the point he was probably a bit annoying about it. <laughs> I think he got a crystal clear vision. He knew there weren't many ways to God. He knew there was one way to God. And he just walked it passionately and fervently thereafter. And he was an amazing evangelist. He used to do um, those sort of pyramid sales and people he'd knocked on for customers for buying cleaning products. He'd bring them to church. Because he'd seen, he knew the spirit had revealed to him that it is all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it, Tonight's passage that's been chosen for us from 2 Corinthians is, uh, from 1 Corinthians, is, is an amazing passage because it talks about this. It talks about the Spirit searching all things, the deep things of God, and how the person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit instead has the mind of Christ, but when you haven't got the Spirit, you can't understand him. Well, if you've got the Spirit, suddenly... It makes sense to you. That's what happened to me in Romania when I got filled with the Spirit. Suddenly the cross made sense to me. And tonight's talk is entitled, What Does the Holy Spirit Do? And the, the biggest thing the Holy Spirit does is point you to the cross of Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 says. Paul says, I want you to know Christ and him crucified and to demonstrate that by power. It's all about Jesus and him crucified. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, if I was to try and explain something to you, like light, how could I explain light to you? Probably the easiest thing to do would be to turn all the lights off, yeah? Pull the curtains down and let it get pitch dark. And then go, ta-da, and the lights come on. Whoa! That's light, isn't it? If you want to understand who the Holy Spirit is, likewise, you have to look at the cross. Because, and this is the story, so go with me on this. Jesus was conceived by and through the Holy Spirit. When he was even in the womb, he was ministering to people because when John the Baptist rocks up in the womb, he knows that Jesus is there, even as what must be a tiny fetus he's six months age gap between them and he kicks in the womb at this less than 12 week old baby Jesus in the womb so even when he's that size he's got power in him enough to make a baby at least a foot away kick Jesus has always walked with the Holy Spirit the important thing to understand about Jesus is that when he walks around on earth he empties himself of everything all his godness. He is still God, fully God, but he empties himself of that power and becomes nothing, becomes a baby, becomes a man. And then, although he has the Holy Spirit, he's growing up and he grows in spirit and wisdom and he's able to understand the scripture and he's imbibed it and he's learned it. He gets anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism and the fullness of God's power falls on him and he gets tested in every way, but he holds on to the Holy Spirit even in that and the Spirit tends to him after he's been tempted and then he just goes and has the most extraordinary miraculous powers. You know, he raises people from the dead. He walks on water. He does everything that he sees the Father doing 
And it says in Peter's sermon in Acts, he does it by the Holy Spirit. Not because he was God, but by the Holy Spirit as a man. He does incredibly powerful things. So from fetus stage, through childhood, through teenage years, through ministry years, he has been full of the Holy Spirit without exception, without exception for a second. Fill up to the max until... I'm going to have to put the camera up again. That's it. <laughs> until he who had no sin became sin on the cross. And I don't know if you know anything much about sin and the Holy Spirit, but they don't mix. <laughs> Not at all. When we sin, it sort of grieves the Holy Spirit. When we persist in Holy Spirit, in, when we persist in sinning, he flies away. There's a bit for us, a truth for us, that if you have Jesus Christ as Lord, you can say that, then there is a sort of engagement ring level of the Holy Spirit that guarantees that you're going to be with God forever. But that's like a sort of covenant. That's a hanging in there thing. Sin and, Christ and Spirit of God don't mix. Sometimes what you get is the Spirit convicting you when sin's on. Like bashing away, come on, come back. But it doesn't exist in harmony. So on this cross, when Jesus becomes sin, can you imagine what that means? To someone who has had perfect relationship with God the Father, he becomes sin. On the cross, when he becomes sin, there is no Holy Spirit for him. There is no comforter. There is no encourager. There is no strengthener. There is no mediator. There is no advocate. There is no joy giver. There is no life giver. There is no hope giver. There is no one to help him persevere. There's no miracle maker. It's just him as a man hanging on a cross full of sin and separation from God the Father and the Spirit has had to fly away. That's the agony he goes through on the cross. Separation away from the Spirit. I. reason is because your sin and mine separate us from the spirit as well and he longs that you and I can be filled with the spirit and the only way to achieve that glory is if he drinks down all your sin and mine 
kills it in the grave, and then rises to fresh new life, ascends to the right hand of the Father, and then from there, he and the Father send the Spirit to you and me and anyone who asks for it. But get this. What do you think the Holy Spirit's doing? While, as the song goes, the Father has to turn his face away, while the punishment for our sins is meted on Jesus. What do you think he's doing? He's the giver of life. This is a death moment. What's the life force of the universe, the person of the Spirit, doing? Well, I'm still trying to tease this one out, so bear with me if I'm not quite on, but I think he goes to the temple. I think he causes an earthquake. I think he rips a curtain from top to bottom so that the presence of God can be sent out into the world. I think he's so frustrated at this death going on that he goes to the graves of holy people who have died and just causes them to come back to life. He's like, death's not going to win today. Life's going to win. And the Spirit of God dances around, waiting for Jesus to be raised in power from the dead by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that can live in you today if you ask him to. And he waits and waits through Holy Saturday. And then he bursts Jesus from the grave. And then he waits and waits and waits to Pentecost. And then he pours out his fire on all people and he starts a down payment of what's still going on today, of letting God's people be filled with the Spirit. Not so they can have a knees up with Jesus, not so they can have a cuddle on the carpet, not so they can feel a little bit better about themselves, but so they can be world-changing kingdom beaters and just see the kingdom of God advance forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Because that's what the Spirit's doing. He's bringing life to this world. Amen. (laughs) You know, we were singing about our hope comes from the mountain, yeah? And... When I, I went up to state this week, originally I had this title that I was going to talk to them about. And this was before COVID and stuff. And it was a brilliant title that I stole from a wonderful guy called Will Van Der He's probably, more of the stories don't steal people's talk titles, but it was a brilliant title. And the, the title was, And No One Ever Thinks of Climbing Down Everest. <laughs> it's really clever, it's clever, isn't it? Because actually quite a lot of people die on the way down from Mount Everest. <laughs> And the sort of the gist of the talk was, you know, loads of us have been living really fast, trying to get to the top, but not actually having the stuff in the tank to get down again. So be careful. But after COVID, I think what a lot of us have got used to is a different word, the word of 21, which is languishing. Languishing. Do you know that word? Basically means falling asleep in front of Netflix or something. Just going, spiritually languishing, life languishing. Just like nothingness. (laughs) It's the word of the year. It's it's that place between depression and well-being. It's just not not got enough energy to be even properly depressed about things. I'm just languishing. (laughs) I think this time of the year, he wants to remind us that our help does come from the mountain. And yeah, this time, when we set up it, let's be careful that we can walk down again. But let's make every effort to make this story known. Christ's love compels us. 
This is the thing that can save the world. It's the cross. And everything about the Holy Spirit will point you to the cross of Jesus. And he'll point you to tell other people about the cross of Jesus. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, all sorts of stuff. Comforts and courage, gives hope and courages. But most of all, he helps people get to know who God the Father is. And the only way to God the Father is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants to reveal tonight. Let's uh, stand, shall we? Let's, uh, everyone, let's just stand where we are. If you've been sitting for a while, you just need to shake your legs or, you know, your arms or something. Oh, he hung on a cross for three hours for you to so get over it. <laughs> no, not really. Just shake it off. Holy Spirit of God. What would it be like if we could see things as you see them this evening? we could see the cross like you see it this evening. Please, please, will you come, Holy Spirit, and reveal Jesus Christ to us this evening and set us free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.